Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one without Mac. All right, everybody. Welcome to West Point, Mississippi. It's a beautiful November day. It is beautiful out there. We've actually got a little bit of fall color in the trees. It, this really is spectacular. Yeah. We just don't have much of that, so it's good to no. see. No, we were flying that drone yesterday, and the colors were just incredible. Mm-hmm. You I sound a little stuffed up. You've been, I, you've been in the bag working on the kitchen remodel? What? No, I hadn't been. I, I walked through there. Some <laughs> Maybe that's where I picked it up, but everybody I know right yeah, now. Everybody's kind of... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, including me. Yeah. yeah. You, you sound like you, you definitely have it. Mm-hmm. But uh, look, today we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, Always. So later on, we're, we've got Mr. Bill Gibson will be here with us, and we're going to call David Westmoreland, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about blood trailing. Yep. After the shot, what's going on. Yeah. So it's a lot to talk about. It is. Recovery, you know, is huge, obviously. And, you know, you, everybody wants to put a great shot on whatever they're hunting and have a quick, clean recovery. Uh, we talked about it. You know, we always talk about it with in the processing uh, vein of things. We talked about it last week and talking about passing it on with your kids, wanting to make those good shots. So uh, recovery is a big part of it. Yeah, it is. So we got some things we didn't do last week. I want to hit on blood on the biologic. And- you got a pretty long list today. It's incredible. I, I, you, you owe me about five Ask Dudleys. Yeah, I was hoping we yeah, I think well, we'll get to an Ask Dudley We'll get to today. an Ask Dudley today. Finally, yep, yep. So your fans will be and, happy. And, and Lenny, I your, wanted to your, ask is you. Is it your OnlyFans? <laughs> only uh, oh. <laughs> I think I get that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so look, Lanny, I, I, the other day I heard you come in the back door and you were all excited. You'd found something on the side of the road. And that seems to make you more excited than anything else. I mean, you know, everybody loves a. Uh, you find ratchet straps. You find. Well, there's a set of railroad tracks here in West Point that's kind of bumpy. And if you pay attention on the side of that, I have obviously been going down this highway many, many years. You find a lot of you know good things, a lot of gamekeeper tools from bungee cords <laughs> to binder straps. To this was like an ex- an aluminum pole that extends like fifteen feet. Yeah, yeah, it was a pool skimmer pole. <laughs> and, was, and, it, and he came into the office. He was so proud of it. You, were you a dumpster diver in your last life? You know, I hate to see good things go away, especially good tools. Well, we'll get we'll keep us surprised as you we find will. stuff. Let us know yeah. about it. I was just going to move on to uh, blood on the biology. There's so much going on right yeah. now. I, we can't mention it all. Yeah. yeah. But but I had a few folks I wanted to call a little attention to. Uh, there's a guy in upstate New York in the Adirondacks that killed a 20-point 
Buck. A, a, a giant buck. He's wearing full bottom land. I saw, I saw a the picture. 20 point. It, it, it was just a beautiful big Is it a deer. typical deer? Non-typical? It wide? Was a, it, narrow, was, it was very heavy, typical skinny. with a bunch of kickers. Ah. But he had a great story. Sticker points. That, that stickers. Says it, kickers, stickers, what have you. mainframe eight, mainframe 10? I yeah, hadn't shown you know, this. You know, no, I hadn't showed it. But I will show you afterwards. But his name is Colt Russell. And I wanted to give him a shout out for, you know, you, this guy's way up there in those Adirondacks. It's a, it's a really cool picture and it's a cool story. Um, then uh, Jason Cook, we had Jason on our podcast. He's the guy that got attacked by that cat in South Florida, if y'all remember when he was oh, turkey yeah. hunting. He killed a giant, giant mule deer in Mexico. I want to go to Mexico. I mean, it's huge. That's awesome. Uh, Clay Warden, who uh, a friend of ours from Florida, we have turkey hunted with him some. He just got back from the Frank Church Wilderness area in Idaho and killed a great big mule deer. I want to go up there in that Frank Church area. Yeah, he said they flew in, and it was uh, you know it took fifteen minutes to fly in, landed on a little remote strip, but it was the weather turned on them. They had to, to drive out, and it took five hours to drive out. Good, great. Yeah, it was a long, that was a long time. So, moving on. So, uh, Grayson Garner over in Georgia, Bo killed a great big deer and, and some biologic clover plus. I mean, a really nice deer. Uh, Glenn, Glenn Garner's son. That's correct. That's correct. Laura Tinsley, Brooke Tinsley's wife. Mm-hmm. Sat I here remember in seeing that. Killed, a, killed her first deer on their island. Oh, nice. Yeah, and some biologic, I might add. She's so. got a hog under the belt and a... And a Deer under the belt so far. Yeah, a little girl from Columbus, the Columbus area over there named Jade Fortner killed a eight point. I don't think it was her first deer, but she's a young girl and she killed it. I was excited Stagging to see up. that for her. Yeah. Um, uh, my nephew, Hudson Spigner. Hudson Spigner killed a. Spigner? She had a cousin named Spigner? Spigner. Spigner. Killed a doe this weekend. That's his second. So he's yeah. all excited. Callie Grubbs, one of the guys that won one of our Batucci watches. Oh. Sent a picture where he killed a really nice deer in Missouri in a beautiful. I don't know what's prettier, the deer or the biologic plot he killed it in. Did he have his watch on? I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm sure he, he loved his watch. So, and Dudley, you raised your uh, hand. Well, what do you got? Uh, Ken Ivy's daughter Day Day killed a nice buck. She sure did. She is a really good outdoors woman. Yeah. Been taught well. Uh, Tommy T's uh, little boy killed his first deer too. I believe. I think he calls him Gunny T. How about that? Um, CJ Workman up in Indiana. CJ's dad is a pro staffer. Yeah. Killed a big old doe in the snow. It was a beautiful picture. I saw I it on Facebook. I seeing all these young people shooting deer. Yeah. Putting meat in the fridge. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It goes right along with last week's podcast. It does. So. Passing it on, baby. And I'm calling a future blood on the biologic. Me it's and Little happen. Dud are going this weekend. Oh, so, nice. There you go. Put some money on the table. All right, you take it. Are you going to the farm? Yep. Going to the... Hadn't been yet. To so the throw and mow patch. Going to the throw and mow patch. Yeah. That's going to be a tasty one. Yeah. Well, we wish you luck. Hopefully it works out. Little Dudley. Get him on the scoreboard. All right, Richie, have you got a commercial for us? Well, one thing I would like to hit on is those Princeton Tech lights. Oh, yeah. The yeah, gamekeeper nice. lights. Me and Richie used those a lot gator hunting this summer. They came in handy. Yes, they did. So did y'all like the ones that the headlamps that have the strap that goes on your forehead or the handheld? Both. Can, we use both. Yeah, we use both. Yeah, so that handheld, it only takes like four batteries. And it's amazing how broad oh, they're it is. they're great. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. We use them a bunch. My headlamp. Um, I've been using all bow season. I took it backpacking this weekend. Uh, still going strong. It's got blue, green, and red. 
and then it has a high and a low. And the high will, I mean, you it's it's like it's like your truck high beams. It's amazing. I'm glad you brought that up, Dudley. Let's talk about headlamp etiquette. And I'd like to talk to Mr. Oh. Cole specifically about <laughs> headlamp etiquette. Yeah. You know, they have different settings on them, so you won't <laughs> blind your buddies the whole time. We need to get you be sure you know how to turn on that red filter there, buddy. So, now, Lanny's referring to, uh, it, from time to time, we're putting out duck decoys, and Lanny will ask a question, and I'll turn around instead and look of looking down, <laughs> Instead of looking down to talk. Yeah. I think that's what got me a uh, decoy upside of the head, the head when my ear got busted. That no, time. that was in daylight. Yeah. yeah. It was. You threw a decoy at me first. Well, so what? what is the red filter? Do, can do, do certain critters not be able to see that? It's just not as it, – it's just easier on the eyes. I'm, I'm seriously bringing it up because that's what the red filter is for. When I'm looking at you, I can actually see instead of the high beams uh, in the eyes. And I don't think it's as distressful uh, to, to wildlife. Um, it's more of a calming. Yeah, control. I think um, some folks use a, like a green filter, you know, in, mm-hmm. in states where you can – spotlight coyotes and things like that yeah. where it's legal or pigs. Uh, sometimes they'll put a green filter or a red filter depending on the animal. Right. Uh, and it, it doesn't bother them as much. Yeah. But common courtesy is to definitely use the red filter when you're talking to somebody with a headlamp on. Well, I'll start doing that. That's good. Or That's look sure. down. Or look down. <laughs> or just turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're asking a lot there. You know, there's a lot going on. So. Hey, but those Princeton Tech products are great products. They, they are. They really they, are. They, they, and they've got a Gamekeeper edition. So you can go to princetontech.com and see what they've got. And some of the stores that are selling our Gamekeeper products have the Princeton Tech lights. Really good look, really good gear. Thank you, Richie, for setting that up. So one thing I also wanted to point out, we hadn't done this in a couple of uh, – podcast but we look at all the reviews yep. that come in and uh there was a there was a guy that cypress t ranch was the name he put on there but he had a really nice review that talked about how his family loves being the gamekeeper lifestyle and he listens to the to the podcast it was just a really good review and uh it helps him get through the hustle and bustle of the day life so uh cypress t ranch i've got a bertucci or we've got a bertucci watch for you and uh, we've also got some other uh, gear. Uh, Richie just, uh, we've got some new Gamekeeper shirts. Oh, man, T-shirts. Yeah. So we're going to start these reviews that come in. We're going to start uh, uh, sending a, a long-sleeve and short-sleeve Gamekeeper uh, shirts to them. Lanny, you've got, you just got, got these one. made, just got them in. You've got you're wearing got one, one on right now. They're in a bunch of different colors. Yeah, a bunch of different colors. Yeah. They're great. So they're they're really nice. So Cypress Tea, I tell you what, instead of a Bertucci watch, Richie handed me this note for a prize for you, and I can't hardly – is that – did he win a mammogram? I <laughs> <laughs> believe that would be a mammoth cooler. Mammoth oh, cooler. Okay. okay, all right. So Cypress Tea, you're Same getting – Same thing, just spelled different. <laughs> Cypress Tea, oh, you're getting weird. a mammoth cooler there uh, instead of uh or we, man that's an awesome gift yeah it is, oh, it is awesome we appreciate gift. the reviews i'm just yeah. trying to get people to give us some reviews and look last but not least would you please share a podcast with some folks that you know that might enjoy uh listening to it so we need to we need to reach more people that's what we're trying to do here so if you don't mind i'd appreciate that we would appreciate that do it so uh lanny yep Looking across the room, Richie, ready with the horns. Get your lips ready, there, Richie. He's we've often got, a guest. We've he got. It's not even a guest. He is the. He's family. He is on top of that. He is the man when it comes to dogs. So I don't think he needs any introduction. 
You know, he's it's like having Sheriff Buford T. Justice <laughs> sit, sitting, <About> right. <laughs> sitting in here with us. And uh, But, Bill Gibson, we're so pleased to have you today. We want to talk about blood trails, and eventually this conversation is going to go to blood dogs, and yep. that's where we really want to get. But you're a big deer hunter, so you're going to have some input into this conversation as well. Yeah, but I'm a doe hunter. Yeah, me and Mr. Bill are on the same page on them doe meats. I've killed so many bucks in my life that I've, I've kind of specialized in does. These days. <laughs> and hogs. Now, I know yeah. you love to shoot hogs. Hogs, I like to. Only trophy does, though. Yeah, big ones. Yeah. Full grown. He is a big fan of sausage. Well, I can see that. You know, <laughs> and he, he looks like somebody. That <laughs> I am so, too. So look, let's uh, let, let's start this conversation, Richie. I want to ask you: uh, Do we need to pull his mic down? It just seems a little far from him. I believe we're good, Bobby. Okay. All right. Well, all right. So we'll we'll pick this back up. Stay in the lane, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Don't all coach right. the coach. Yeah. Okay. So all right. So guys, let's start off talking about how important being able to blood trail is. And so whether you're a gun hunter or obviously if you're you're bow hunting, there's something that plays into to the to that to the hunt sequence. Yes. But it's so important to be able to read that sign and know what you're dealing with, what you're looking at, and not messing it up. Yep, 100%. I'd, I'd like to tee this up by saying, uh, you know, making an ethical shot first Highest priority. is very important. And that can cut way back on your blood trailing. But it all it's going to happen. Sometime in somebody's life, somebody's going to make a bad shot. Look, and I'm going to tell you, a full-grown, mature whitetail, even if you place it in the boiler room, you know, uh, especially a big 200-pound buck has got the ability to get out of there. You know, they all and just don't fall. Ways. Yeah, and they all just don't fall stone dead. Nope. Um, and uh, to your point, you know, often when you see or shooting at a deer, the angle that's in your mind is maybe not even in the angle that, you know, he, he really is. At. In the so, heat of the moment, it's it's hard to keep your cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I'm with you. First thing is make the best shot you can. Uh, and then what's the next thing? I know what I do next. I was, that's what I was going to ask. Like after the shot, Bobby, what's the first thing you do? Well, you know, it, you, you get so worked up. Mm-hmm. So l- let's just pretend like we're talking about with a rifle, and yeah. you had a deer out there, and you're in a swampy situation, two hundred yards. You take a shot, and the deer's gone. Mm-hmm. So then you replay all this in your mind. What just went through? Well, you know where you were holding when you squeezed the trigger, and then you in your mind. Did he kick like a mule? Did, you know, tail did up, he, it, tail right. down. Yeah. Where's the last that, place you right. saw him? Go yeah, through all that, and it's really important that you mark in your mind where he was. That's what I was actually. That's what I was digging for. Yeah, pick out a you know if you see a little cedar tree where they jump the fence, you know, just try to make little landmarks. And I would encourage you to to sit for a minute and and pay particular attention um, from your stand. Most people are hunting in the elevated position. Maybe you're not, but. Because uh, the ground looks different when you when you get on the ground and start walking over. There, there. you so, go. That's right. Completely so, different. Completely different. So be sure. I mean, you know, oh, he went in by that oak tree. Then you get down. Look, look for a minute. You know, be sure you know where that last spot is, uh, because that's I think to me one of the most important places to start. And that's coming from a colorblind deer hunter, by the way. <laughs> <You> colorblind. <laughs> yeah. Red, and just with yeah, red my and browns. Mother, <laughs> my mother blessed me. With red, green, and pastel color blind. Yeah, yeah. A lot of us are that way. So I cannot blood trail any animal. I'm in the same boat. So that last departing where I saw him last is hugely important. Now, 
lung blood is a little bit different. I can see it a lot better, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Well, that brings up a good point. So when you walk up there and you find blood, you can tell a lot by that a first lot. look at the blood that you got. And so bright, bright red blood. Frothy. You, you want bright red, frothy blood. Lung yeah, blood. Yeah, yeah, blood. Yeah. So then if you're seeing really dark blood, that could tissue. be a sign of a, of a heart or a liver shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or it could be brisket, you know, depending on is it spraying, is it dripping, um, is it running down the leg? Are the limbs, you know, rubbing against it? Is it coming off the body? Uh, there's a lot of stuff you can tell. Uh, yeah, how, uh, if you do find blood, how high how up high on, it the, is. on mm-hmm. the, you know, on the vegetation it is. Yeah, side yeah. of a tree you might find some. You, you can even, you can, you know, sometimes you get a little turned around. You can see which direction that blood was going. Mm-hmm. That'll give you an indication which direction the deer was is traveling in. Well, we normally do. I get somebody that can see blood, <laughs> and then we take a roll of plastic type tape and tie it to bushes as we go. So if we lose a blood trail, we can back up. Mark your line. It's very helpful to have somebody else there and one person stay on the last blood. Right. And then not move until the next piece of blood is found. Especially mark that and then do the same thing over and over again. And uh, another thing is, you know, look at the topography, you know, pull out your phone and your own X and, uh, usually you can see, you know, maybe a saddle or a drainage or something, a and, and it can help you use deductive reasoning to kind of guess uh, maybe which direction the deer may have gone if if you don't know. Yeah. And the behavior of the deer afterwards. Bob, you, you hit on this a little bit, but after the shot, what does the deer do? Does it walk? Does it run? Is it hunched? Is the tail up? Is the tail down? Uh, there's a lot of indicators uh, physiologically that they can give you too about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And looking at, and again, for me, being struggling like Mr. Bill, so hard to see blood, the tracks, they, they tell me a lot what direction, you know, how fast it was running, depending on how the animal exited the field or wherever it is, um, being able to see. And to your point, create a line in my mind on in what direction is the best place to look. You know, I've always... This may, maybe I'm just strange, but I've always enjoyed blood trailing. Oh, it, yeah. It's just, I mean, it's solving a, you know, a, a mystery. It's and, suspenseful, you know. Yeah. And, Not, you know, I know y'all did it with your kids, too, With when they shot their first one. You just didn't run to the deer. You're like, oh, you shot it right, right. here. Let's try to find this. And, you know, that is one of those uh, great parts about it is that recovery. Yeah. It's, and, and everybody will have a story about, hey, you need to look over yeah, here. More <laughs> over here. <laughs> I don't see it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's good. That's a good training for them. Though. It is a great training. It really but, is. you know, we let's face it, we like hunting food plots. We're, mm-hmm. we're food plot people. Um, a lot of times there may be 10 or 15 deer in that corner of the field that, that you're shooting into. And you shoot, it's it's getting late. Mass chaos. Light is, is diminishing, and then you just see 15 deer going in every direction. And you may not even know which direction the deer you shot at went. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's important to try to replay it in your mind where your deer went and, and backtrack, you know, before you even get out of the stand. But 100%. Sometimes you don't even know. Now, yeah. I've had that happen more than a couple times. So I th- I, before we jump on to dogs, though, I think one of the main questions that you're always going to go when you are trailing deer is: Are you going to come back in the morning? When or not? do you back out? You know, uh, what are the indicators that tell you, "Hey, it's time for me to back out and come back in the morning"? Um, you know, every every one of us has been in the woods. If you're in the woods at night uh, with a Princeton light on your head, 
boom, <laughs> and Onyx on your side. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, you know, go with the, it is dark when there's no moon out in the woods. And, and you know, a lot of the swampy areas that, that we hunt, you know, lights reflecting everywhere and it gets a little, uh, <clears throat> a little hard to tell what's going on. But I, I'd love to talk about, you know, Bobby, when do you decide to, to back out and come in the next day? You know, there's scenarios sometimes where you may be going along and you bump the deer mm -hmm. and you hear it get up and run. And that would be a scenario that would make me think very strongly about saying, okay, man, maybe we need to let him lay a little bit. That's a huge indicator for come me back and, and now, Also him. knowing that the deer is probably still alive. I know this is tough to right. talk I, about. No, that's part of it. That's what we're talking we about. We want them to expire quickly, but it doesn't always happen that way. Right. And uh, if you see it get up and run off, chances are it's it's got a couple, at least a couple more hours left in it. And you might could look at the weather, see how cold it's going to be, and make a decision. You know, I've heard, you know, if it's a paunch shot, it's, if it's in the entrails, you need to let them lay. If it's in the liver, you need to push them. Uh, there's a bunch of different scenarios that you hear. But to me, it's it's all subjective uh, to what the actual deer behavior is and, and how confident you feel in your shot. Um, a lot of times you know exactly where you hit them, and a lot of times you don't. Um, so uh, factoring all that in and also considering, obviously, weather factors, wind factors, is it going to be cold enough, is it going to rain, uh, to make that decision. But the coyotes, too. The coyotes, I mean, too. Yeah, this is, this is kind of my opinion. Uh, everybody's entitled to them, but I kind of think leaving a deer until the next day is it, not necessarily – the most ethical thing to do um, because a, a coyote may get it. You know, you, uh, that's, you're hunting for meat. Yeah. And uh, it's risky and you don't uh, sleep well at night. Either right. When you, you know, <laughs> <at> night. <laughs> we're good at setting our alarms to get up at four in the morning to go hunting, set your alarm for two and go out there and look, the, the deer's probably expired by then. Yeah. And uh, you're so trying you like, to, you like, if you jump them avoid, up, you give them a couple hours and well, go back. Yeah. I mean, it might be, you know, a big set of antlers that you, you know, just have to find, but there's meat attached to those antlers. Oh, look. And I you know. owe it to the deer to get it before the coyotes get to it. That's, and, that's my opinion. No, I agree a thousand percent. That's the whole reason I'm trailing. Those horns don't bleed. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many things that figure into that. Sure. I mean, I, we, we all have folks that we're, we're real close to that have made decisions like that and, and, and then end up making the right. I mean, they end up finding the deer the, next, right. The, right. the next morning. Right. So, you know, I think a lot of that though is guys that have shot something that's got a lot of horn, mm -hmm. and they don't want to lose it. Yeah. And they're thinking more about the antlers than, than they are anything else. So, and and, I, and look, I kind I'm gonna probably err in that direction. I, so, you know, you gonna push? So we can I agree like, to I disagree. Like, I like antlers, and right. I, I mean that's one of the th reasons I'm hunting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, hey, don't don't let Dudley lie. He likes antlers too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, there's just so many decisions, and I don't know that there is a right or wrong in, in some of this stuff. You it just do the so best subjective. you can. It's so subjective to, to, to the time, the place, the shot, who you're with, where you are, what the weather is, everything else. But to Dudley's point, every effort has to be placed into recovery. You know, this isn't a turn the page and go hunting again and forget about what you did. Um, I can't, you know, me personally, the next morning, I won't go hunting if I hadn't recovered because I want to go back and look and want to go back and look. I've looked for a deer that I didn't recover for, uh, I mean, days. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, uh, and, you know, looking for buzzards in, in yeah. the future is, 
And it's amazing how fast they can get on exactly. a critter. And if you're not there when they're circling, they'll be down on the ground, and then you won't you won't know. Yeah. You might just walk up and flush them, mm-hmm. you know, if you're walking around. But, Lane, it's going to sound like a commercial, but that on, on the Onyx, you got that tracking yep. feature. I was, yeah. Yeah, I so if you that. have lost a deer, that's a great feature to let you know if you've covered some country. No doubt about and, it. And, and just which, where you've walked and yeah. see if there's any holes left. I, I, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I, I shot at a mature six-point. Big old dude. Big old, big old forks. Uh, in the heat of the moment in a rut hunt last year. And uh, I'm now determined that I may have hit a vine or something. But I used that on X and zigzagged for six hours in a drainage. Uh, actually, it was a total of six hours, but it was three different drainages. And I shot, watched the deer turn up into one of them, and I waited a while. And I, I thought it was a perfect shot, but I used that on X and tracked my location in that drainage, you know, like every 15 or 20 yards, I was zigzagging back and forth. And when I didn't find any blood or hair or deer in that one drainage, I went to a drainage on either side of it. And then I went across the road where he would have possibly crossed the road and checked that drainage and didn't find a thing. And I was in my mind content that I missed that deer. Uh, Had I not had that, you know, some type of tracking app like on X, I would have, I would have felt guilty that you know maybe I hit it and lost it. Yeah, and in the dark, it's easy to it's get tough. off track. Yeah, and, I grid. I mean, I've had to grid a lot. Oh, I call what he's doing grid, and I think that yeah, know, that's you know, that's right. Search and recovery will be grid, and so you're yeah. creating lat- you know axes to work off of to be sure you cover everything. So, yeah, on X is a hell of a tool to help you get that done because you really can't get that done in the dark. Uh, without some kind of assistance. Sure. So. You know, and I don't know if what I, my next suggestion, I don't know if it's legal in every state, but if you've got a buddy that's got a drone. Yeah, that's, that's the, an interesting, interesting. You can well, you can see a lot. And if you've got a deer out in a CRP field, for example, no, they'll, they'll show up like new money out there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see with this. Um, with obviously, we're living in the technology age and, you know, it's not, it's affecting every part of our lives what the, uh, what the the states and the legislators will you know do with electronic assistance to thermal recovery thermal yeah thermal I mean there's tools out there that you know you can really use to help that's for sure yeah so uh, last thing that I wanted to make sure that I commented on I'm not saying this is the end of the conversation nah. but um, you know if your deer goes off your property mm. I think it's a great idea to call your neighbor and say hey look here's I'm glad you brought on. that up Bobby because that is a big thing you need. To, uh, you know, what is it? Ask for forgiveness or permission. You need to ask for permission on on, yeah. on that one. Let, let them know what's going on. And they might end up helping you find the deer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's so. been some horror stories of folks that just took the liberty uh, to, to cross those lines. So. And it, it might be different. You know, you may be really close to your neighbor and, and already have those things established. Yeah, that's true. That's different. Um, you know what I mean? And I think there's a lot, you know, out, we're speaking locally around here, but out West, it's even a bigger deal. Yeah. So after you've exhausted all these things that we're talking about, you know, the next logical step is if you know somebody or have access to somebody that's got a dog. It's a recovery dog. Amazing. And also, even if you haven't exhausted it, if if you've got a dog and need to work it, let it start from, from point A. You know, without before you go and leave your scent everywhere and and mess, you know, 
Oh, it's fun to use it for recovery. Yeah, because Dudley makes a great point. Because oftentimes, by the you when, may which, be able, you may watch the deer drop. You know, but yeah, teach your dog. If you're trying to train a dog, he'll help you out in the long run. That's for sure. That's yeah. what I did with Chief. Bill, you remember Chief, don't you? Yeah. If even if you know where the deer went down, where the deer is, you can still take your dog. Yeah. And let it find the deer. Obviously, you know where it is. Let the dog find it. Get a little experience under his belt or her belt. Yeah. Before I had kids, I carried Chief with me everywhere, and so he was with every recovery for me. And and just as a puppy, doing what y'all are saying, introducing him to recovering deer, I would even make him sit and stay and heal, and then I would, you know, shoot a deer and <laughs> go and find it. Uh, but he starting him so young, he it became part of what he loved to do. Uh, is real natural for him. So, and I think, um, Bill, I think these labs are great for it. There's several breeds of other dogs that, uh, that that folks use, but it's an unbelievable tool. That's for sure. Yeah, I've got a, a buddy, uh, Scott, lives around Charleston, South Carolina. Whenever he's in a shooting house, he takes his dog with him, and he's got the dog trained to yeah. just sit there with him when he hunts. I deer hunted a lot with my old lab chief. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. We were, you know, big track of land down there for a long time. I didn't have Hayden at the time, so. <laughs> I'll, I'll run something by you right quick. I had a, we had a guy bought a, a lab from us, mm-hmm. and uh, he shot and wounded a deer, and it ran off, or his buddy did. And he came and got him the next day in the rain and said, hey, think your dog can find my deer? And he said, I don't know. We try. It rained in 23 hours. And the, the scent trail is 23 hours old, obviously. The dog found it at 300 yards in just a few minutes. Mm. How he did it, I don't know. But the scent, some way, did not wash away. And, and I, Bill, how how much, how more better <laughs> can a dog smell than us? Oh, about 100 to 300,000 times better. All factory senses are much greater. Yeah, that's five zeros. So are they are they smelling the tracks of this deer? Or are they smelling just a, a there's a dead deer over there? Well, that's debatable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because labs are air centers primarily, which means they smell. If, if they're uh, downwind from the deer, obviously they're going to air scent it. But they also ground scent and I think it just depends on, on the weather conditions and the uh, whether or not it's raining, whether or not the wind's blowing to pull a scent, whether or not it's a swirling wind and the scent is swirling. There's just a lot of factors come into play. And then, you know, sometimes they're, you know, like I said earlier, there, there may be 10 or 15 deer out there when you shoot. How do you know that dog's going to find the deer, you know, track the deer you shot at and not just? Well, but, what you do is you hope. When you start, you know where you shot it, and you start right there. And I, I read that there's 40 different deer scents out there so that when you're actually trailing a deer and he's on that one deer, he can differentiate between they can smell deer that across the path or something and then stay on the correct path. It, it makes you wonder if they can, with their smell, if they can sense the distress in the, in the deer maybe that's, or something. That's what I read, but that's a different type tracking. Well, deer that... That's been wounded, uh, and is under a lot of stress. Puts out a, a scent through its hooves that that goes into the ground. That's different from an uninjured. Different from an uninjured deer. Mm-hmm. So if an uninjured deer crosses that path, that dog can actually stay on that injured deer's path. 
Yeah, yeah. one one to three hundred thousand times is a number that we probably can't fathom. <laughs> That's in our exactly mind. right. So they they can sense things that we don't understand. That's correct. And it's uh, fascinating. And never will. Yeah, just go to the kennel. And then come home and see what your dog does. They're going to sniff every square inch. Mr. Bill, I know you're a lab guy, but what are some other breeds that... I would think just about any breed could be trained to be a tracker as long as it has olfactory senses that, uh, that it needs to be a tracker. Some dogs have superior noses, some have inferior noses, so... If you start off with a known line of dogs that have good noses, I think any breed could be a tracker. It, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you you know, you see stuff on social media, people showing off their deer dog, and you do see a lot of different kinds of breeds. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of lab-type dogs. Uh, I also see a lot of, you know, like little dachshund-looking dogs. Yeah. and you know, Wiener dogs. Yeah, and- uh, German, you know, dogs with like a German name. Yak. Like, we had yak yeah. terriers. There was a big yeah. push around here. Toxie had, 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 had a yak. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Daryl had a yak. I remember hearing them talk about a guy that had a yak terrier that would trail elk. Yeah, it was ferocious. And and they they I remember them telling the story about that they turned the dog loose and the elk wasn't dead. And they looked up, and this elk, a bull elk, is running across a meadow, and that yak terrier was nose. hanging from <laughs> his nose. <laughs> hanging from his nose. Crazy. But you know, out west, a lot of places you can't use a tracking dog. Mm. They don't allow it. Mm. So, Interesting. Where you and I hunted, I'm not going to name the state, but they right. won't let you use a dog. No tracking track. dog there. Mm. Yeah, and I, mm. I guess, you know, from the game warden standpoint, you know, just thinking out loud here, somebody could go shoot a deer at night. And just put a dog on a leash and say, I, I just tracked the deer. I sure. shot it earlier. Sure. Yeah. No and so, I, I mean, I can see where. Yeah, not to mention with the thermals and everything else. Not trying <laughs> to give anybody <laughs> ideas. Yeah, our, our <laughs> game <laughs> boards, they have their hands full. They got their hands full. They yeah, really yeah. do. Well, look, why don't we do this? Because we got a guy we're going to call. Mr. Bill trained his dog. Mm-hmm. And so let's get David Westmoreland on the phone. Lanny, I got a phone number here for him. Uh, Dudley, if you'd pass that to Lanny. And then. Uh, Mr. Bill trained his dog's name is Stick. Mr. Bill trained Stick, him. S T I K. That is a great dog name. Yeah. Hey, this is Toxie Hayes with Mossy Oak. You know, hunting and fishing, gamekeeping, and taking care of the land with my family is my life. And I'll be honest with you, the one app that I'm on every day and use more than anything is on X. It literally has changed my life. From property ownership to roads, everything to do with understanding the land better. I even use it to plot acreages all the time. Every function I could dream of. Use coupon code MOSSYO to save 20% on your next OnX subscription. Trust me, you'll be so glad you did. All right. The inner digital glands. That's what's yeah, the point. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Hello. David Westmoreland. In hey, the man. House. Boom. Our old buddy. All right, David. We're so glad to have you on there. Are you pulled over on the side of the interstate? Are you safe? You're not driving, are you? I'm working on that. I was down in a dip when you called a while ago, but I'm good now. All right. Well, get out of the dip. Get up on the side of the road and pull over now. So... So, look, let me just introduce David just a little bit. David, uh, 
We long know, time friend. Dark. Long time friend. Yeah. He is, uh, and, and he may be. He's one of the best bow hunters I know of. I mean, he, he goes. He travels all over. Yeah, literally. He's, he's serious about it. He's very, very serious, <laughs> and he's a, he's a he's a gamekeeper. Totally. <laughs> he's uh, he's been doing this a long time. He's really good, and uh, but he he called a few years ago, and he he wanted to get a blood dog. Mm-hmm. And he he'd heard so much about Mr. Bill and the kennels, and we went through all this. And he brought his dog down here and left him, and he got back what I think is a, he, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but you have your best friend in that truck with you right now somewhere. Well, hundred uh, percent, Bobby. I mean, I you know my history. I lost my best friend in '16, so he's filled a big hole for me. You know, with with Stick. I mean, he literally goes everywhere I go. I mean, everywhere. Uh, so it's been a special deal, not just for the blood trailing, but just the companionship has been, I mean, you just, you know, as a dog owner, but it, you can't explain the connection you get with a good dog, you know? Yeah. Hunter's best, best friend for life. That's the only way yeah. you can describe it. Yeah, it That's is. Exactly right. So, yeah. so David, before we get off uh, down in this topic, Lanny wanted me to ask you, had you, have you been in any fights lately? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the odd, odd thing you say that the older I get, the fewer I get into. I don't know if the people are feeling sorry for me or, or I'm just stepping away from them, but I haven't been in one all week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it used to be we couldn't talk to you without you. you you've been in some kind of altercation somewhere. Him. That's right. Yeah, I, I've slowed down a bit, Bobby, in my older days. <laughs> well, that that's good. Well, look, we want to talk to you about your experiences with a dog and blood trailing, and and uh, and, and your thoughts on that, and and your experience with Mister Bill at the kennels. If you could just kind of start there and talk a little bit. Well, uh, a, that's a it's a huge subject, but I I know when I started, my expectations were were relatively low. I mean, I wanted a, you know, a dog that I could have in camp that, uh, you know, would be tolerable by everybody. You know, nobody likes a obnoxious dog in camp. So when I took him to Bill the first time, the obedience and everything was kind of the priority and the blood trailing was a bonus. But uh, Bill did an unbelievable job. He went a little early. He was, you know, he still had his baby teeth and he, he was, I think, five months when we brought him in. But anyway, when, when he came back, he was incredibly obedient, and uh, he's a dog that just wanted to do good. You know, he wanted – if you could make him understand what you wanted, he wanted to do it. <clears throat> and Bill had worked with him some on tracking, uh, and not so much blood trailing, but tracking and finding dead animals, you know, uh, with a piece of deer hide or whatever. And uh, so the, not long after I got him home – uh, you know, I'm not big on shooting does really, but I couldn't wait to get out and kill something to see if, you know, stick could find it. And so I started shooting does. I shot the first doe and I took him and I had him on a, on a leash, you know, tight leash and one scared to death to lose him. And I was trying to show him the blood, you know, I shoot the doe and, you know, hit her perfect and she didn't go a hundred yards. And I knew right where she was laying, but I wanted him to follow the blood. Well, I was aggravated because he was just going back and forth all over and he like, he didn't care about the blood, but he had already winded the deer and wanted to go. But you know, me, I was wanting to track the blood. Well, anyway, it took us a few times like that for me to figure out how he hunted and he hunts. He, he, he cross checks, wind checks the track, not so much looking for, you know, he's not a bloodhound. 
he's a you know a wind checker so i call him and and once i figured that out and give him a little more leash to run and uh i mean he would smoke a track like no tomorrow you know i mean uh it was unbelievable how fast and how good he got but it took us you know some time to figure out you know how to do it how to work him and work together because my whole deal you know for 40 years i've been trained to find every spot of blood you could well he don't he don't care about the blood he's smelling the smell so anyway that's what it did and i i was lucky doing what i do that, I, that he got a lot of experience in a short amount of time i think yesterday he found number 41 oh, that's uh awesome. he's only yeah he's only three years old and to me that's pretty good i mean 41 deer to find in in three years is is really good um and he don't find them all, but I, I've learned too. Uh, typically, when we don't find them, it never fails. Two or three days or two or three weeks, somebody will call me and say, "Hey, we got a picture of that deer. He's still alive." Mm-hmm. And but if he's dead, he pretty much finds them all. Wow. So let me, let me so, David. Let me ask you this: So you run an archery camp, and you have a lot of hunters coming in and out, and that dog's got a bit finding that deer's that, that's a. Do you, do you try to tell people let let's just look? Don't even go look for the deer. We're gonna bring the dog every time. Does it yep. mess, does it mess him up if people have been walking down in the woods and whatnot? A hundred percent, it does. And I I get frustrated with people, and it's not their fault because they just don't know. But they'll go out and look for two or three hours, and three or four guys setting everything up and disturbing everything, and then they call me, and uh, it's so important to get that dog a fresh you know, a fresh opportunity on that track, the sooner the better. If you know you've made a marginal shot, you know, most people know it, you you call the dog then. You don't look for two or three hours or two or three days and, and then call the dog. It's just, you know, it's setting the dog up to fail. If three or four guys can't find him, well, then, you know, the odds are the dog's going to struggle too to get on a fresh track where, like I said, if somebody calls me and I get there within two or three hours or so, I mean, 99% of the deer, we find them, you know, uh, if he's dead. So that's really, really important. And I have friends, I, I get aggravated. I mean, call me when you know he's dead, you know, because one of these days you're going to want stick to find one that may be hard to find. Even if you see the deer fall, call me. We'll go out and find him. And I mean, he's just a, he's a buddy. I mean, what better thing to go find a deer with your buddy? Yeah, you know? exactly right. Yeah. And if you, if you, got called every time your buddy couldn't find one you'd probably quit going you know yeah that's right (laughs) so he he's gotten you know i've got a few neighbors and stuff that that know when they smoke a deer no matter what they call us and and we'll go over there and we find him and, and he's a part of the team you know and every time he finds one he gets better like that deer yesterday he he blew across the bean field and the instant he got downwind of it, he was 150 yards from it. He turned on a dime, like a 90 degree at a full run and then turned and just blew to that deer. And, uh, I couldn't believe, I wish I'd have had it on video. I, you know, I had my phone in my freaking pocket. And I didn't video it, but that was a prime example of how he hunts. I mean, he, he wins them, you know, he sent checks them and wins them. So yeah. it's been a cool deal. <laughs> So Dave, this Lanny, by the way, uh, do you, I, it sounds like you don't work him on a lead. You you let him free run. Depends on the state, you know. Some states you have to have him on a lead, and then others you don't. I use a GPS collar on him all the time because 
uh, one, you know, you know exactly where he's at. And if he would happen to get loose from the lead or whatever, you can still find him, you know. And then he, when he, it was funny when he, when he was a puppy, the first, say, 10 that he found, he'd bark when he found them. That's what I was going to And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, perfect. I was like, you know, he'd find one, he'd start barking. I'd be like, he's got him. And we'd go and he'd be tearing into him, you know, and barking. Uh, and he quit doing that. Now he just wants to eat them. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's he, hungry. Yeah. yeah, you got to get on him pretty quick. He don't go after the cape or anything. Luckily, he goes after the hindquarters and the paunch area, but he'll have them picked clean. I mean, like all the hair picked off of him if you don't get on him pretty quick. But that collar, you know exactly when it, you know, he'll be ranging out there and, you know, he'll go 110, 118, 135. And then next thing you know, it says treat. You know, he's not moving. Right. And you can go there and, you, I mean, you, you, he's got it. You know, he's on it. Do you reward so, him with any kind of liver or any kind of entrails, or do you just love on him and tell no, him to do it a good No, believe job? it or But, yeah, he, he gets the thrill out of this. He's just like a person. I mean, he gets so excited. You know, when we get there, it's like he's trying to show us, you know, look what I found, look what I found. But yeah. believe it or not, the little <laughs> joker, um, he's, he's like allergic to beef and red meat. So it took me a while to figure that out, but uh, he don't do it all the time. But a lot of times, if he eats it, he'll get sick that night, you know. Mm. And I couldn't figure out what it was, so we got him on a salmon and rice diet, and he's golden. He don't have any trouble at all anymore. So, uh, not to say he don't get a meat sick now and then, but sure. for the most part, he he uh, he's, eats pretty clean. Probably like we should eat more than likely, but uh, he stayed in good shape and. Uh, and he's, you know, he's an athlete. He runs nonstop. So maybe he's got that tick disease, alpha gal. Good. <laughs> I don't know. It, you know, I've all of all the things I'd end up with an allergic dog, you know, I, uh, and I felt sorry for him there for a while. You know, you could just tell he didn't feel good. And the vet, uh, told us about the salmon and rice and we got him on that and he's been golden ever since. So it's good. But, it's been a pleasure. Like I said, I can't thank you guys enough or Mr. Bill for doing it because uh, he made him, you know, gave him the foundation. And then, like I said, with the opportunities I had to get him on deer, he's, he, you know, he's been, you know, in my opinion, everybody, it's like a kid. Everybody thinks their kid's the best. But, uh, I mean, he is really a pleasure to have and be around. Well, I'm, I'm looking so. at I'm looking at Mr. Bill. He's over here beaming. That's he's right. With, with oh, is he? Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh. Yeah, he's primarily an air center. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. noticed when you brought him back to get a little retriever training, and he went, blew past the dummy and got the baby deer about 100 <laughs> yards away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, to be honest with you, I feel really bad because he's a retriever and I don't bird hunt. You guys know that. And I, I actually booked him on a pheasant hunt for uh, Thanksgiving Day. I'm taking him to shoot some some pheasants and I really want to get him on some ducks, but I don't know which end of a duck quacks. So I'm going to have to go somewhere <laughs> and, uh, and get him on some ducks. Cause he, he's good. He, he knows that, you know, the process and everything, but he just, he needs like, well, like finding the deer, he needs some experience with it, you know? So <clears throat> he's retrieved a few geese and stuff that I've shot, but it's just, it's not the same as sitting in a blind, you know? Do, do you hunt with him? Like when you're deer hunting, yeah, that's the, that's, yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that was the cool part. 
he uh, in turkey season, he's really good at finding turkeys too. But I went out one morning and I thought, you know what, I'm going to take him and see if he'll set in the blind, set still in the blind, you know. And that sucker, we had a goblin bird. I, I'm not exaggerating a bit. He was 10 feet from the blind off to my right. And <clears throat> you guys know I only bow hunt, you know. And and uh, so this bird was spitting and drumming 10 feet and stick never moved a toe. He'd sit there and just tremble. Well, the <laughs> second I shot, I mean, he had the bird come out, finally come out to the decoy, and I shot. And the second I shot, that little dog flew through that window and saw that goblin. <laughs> I mean, wide open. So, and at first, it, it was good. I was like, well, shoot, you know, I'm never going to lose one ever because he gets on before they know what, you know, what happened. But it's a problem if you got two guys and you're trying to kill two turkeys. Well, what about that? once that dog goes that? out, it's over the hunt. What about the arrow? Don't you have to worry about the the? I mean, what if the arrow's stuck in the bird and he's? I to... worry about that some, but you know, I I luckily I shoot quite a few pounds, and I haven't had one hang up in the bird yet. You know, and yeah, and that's why I wish I could get him. I need to work with him some and get him to stand uh, until I tell him to go. You know, so if there is an arrow, I can hold him. But like right now, there ain't no holding him in that blind. The minute yeah, especially that bow when you're goes trying off, to draw a bow. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think Copper would no, hold that. No, like, no, yeah. no, 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 Drumming, uh, uh, no. Goose neither. He's going to get him. He thinks it's a pheasant. Yeah, Mr. Bill calls well, that like, self-employed. Yeah, that's right. It becomes self-employed. Well, the other, the other test was I went and hunted with a buddy. I don't know. I think maybe Bobby's met him, John Knox. But I went with him one morning to his spot, and he had a uh, uh, VS-360, one of them see-through blinds. <clears throat> and I was like, man, I don't know, John, if, if stick will stand for that, you know, or not, you know, I don't know what he'll do. Cause in the regular blind, like I'm on out, he can't really see him until he jumps out, you know, but that day we had four Jake's come in and they were, again, they were 10 yards in front of the blind. And that dog sat there and looked at him all the whole time. And he never wiggled the toe, just stood there and stared at him and shakes, you know, he gets to trembling, but yeah. he don't, he gets the favor. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, get I the Even on deer, even on deer, I take him up in uh, an elevated blind. The only problem is he can't climb a ladder, so, so I got to carry, carry him, him up there. there. <laughs> yeah. So I carry him, and he he'll just sit there and watch the deer. He won't break. He'll just sit there and watch him, and and uh, I mean he, he's never offered to spook him or nothing. Even in the yard, if if I let him out at night and there's deer there. I tell him one time, leave it. That's his little key. And he won't chase them. I mean, he'll just sit there and look at them. Uh, but if you stick one of them now, it's a different different program. He's all over it. <laughs> My turn. He sounds right. like a great dog. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he, he was when he was in training. It's kennel, a, a great little dog. Yeah. So, Mr. Bill. Yeah, he, oops, I'll go ahead. He's really, you know, like he's just three, well, a little over three now, but He's really gotten good, you know, like good natured and uh, and just dead calm. You know, I mean, he he's just you, you wouldn't even know he's there unless you you know he's there. You know, no barking, no whining, no unnecessary. No moving, barking, no, no whining. It, the only frustrating part of him is he literally takes every step with me throughout the day. He is they they've nicknamed him Shadow because I can no matter where I go, he's right off my heel, just nonstop and. Like if you go through a door where you got to stop and let him come through, and he, he does that all day long. And I read the other day, I mean, you guys probably know, but like a, the dog, a dog average sleeps for like 16 or 18 hours a day or something. And uh, 
Cindy, I told her, my wife, I said, he don't get that much sleep because he follows me all day long. You know, he's, he's up all day, you know, from dark to dark. So I don't know when he catches up on his sleep, but he don't get the average sleep anyway. Oh, that's good. Well, Goose makes up for what he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and this morning I got here and I sent my wife a text at 719. Copper was sound asleep. Snoring. Yeah. On the tree stand couch. <laughs> yeah. So, so, look, David, uh, look, if you want to hang on here just a little while, uh, I wanted to ask, and you might want to comment, but I wanted to uh, to ask Mr. Bill, if, if a, how does a guy kind of train his own dog a little bit? Not trying yeah. to knock business out of your lap, but. If you're interested in, you know, having one of your, your pooches, you know, help your blood trail, what would be some good guidance? Well, at our kennel, initially, we start off with just uh, basic obedience training. Mm-hmm. Uh, heal, sit, stay, place, and, and hear, and get all that down. And instead of starting retrieving with dummies, we start with deer legs. Uh. So then we, we throw a deer leg out in the deep grass, and we use find it. Mm-hmm. And so he goes out, retrieves it, and brings it back. And then we graduate from there to placing deer legs in different places on the property and tell him, find it. It's like a blind retrieve. Mm-hmm. And he finds all our deer legs and brings them back to us, delivers to hand. And then we move from that to straight line dragging deer hides. We, we soak them in water for about five minutes just so we know we get a scent. And then we drag them between us on a long, long rope, put the deer hide in the middle and one of us on each end. The reason we do that, we don't want the dog tracking us. We wanted to track uh, the deer hide. And you're constantly losing little flakes of skin when you walk, when you move, when you're sitting here. And so they're falling on the ground and the dog could easily track me instead of tracking the deer hide. So you get a, a your deer hide and you have a rope or chain on either side of it. foot rope. Wow. And drag it between us. Significantly that way, a lot. That way we know that the dog is not tracking us. He's tracking the deer. Mm-hmm. And then we go from a straight line to a zigzag where we weave in and out and, you know, go a good distance. Start off short distance, back and forth, and uh, might bring the deer hide almost back to us, maybe 50 yards to the left, 50 yards to the right, and let him track it around and come back. Of course, you got to keep the wind in your favor. Because they're air centers, mm-hmm. and if the wind is blowing and the dog goes across that set trail, he's going to go to the hide and start tracking the hide. I uh, I was going to tell you guys, you know, I don't, I can't explain it. It's kind of a, I, I guess, for lack of knowledge, a, a phenomenon to me. But Sticks always been pretty honest on a track. You know, uh, a lot of people ask, well, how does he know which deer that they're tracking? And and uh, I've had him run through a whole herd of deer and him stay on the the wounded deer track uh for the most part but i think they must release an endorphin or something when they're injured it's like i've heard you know police dogs run through a whole crowd of people and get the criminal because the criminal releases a you know a different scent or whatever because he knows he's wrong or whatever the case is but stick he's you know i'm not saying he's 100 percent honest if he jumps a buck fresh especially a buck you know they have more scent he'll run it for a second but he comes right back and then he'll he'll resume on the right track and how they do it, I mean, is beyond me, but they know. And and I'll tell you something else they know too that that's a mystery is typically when I get on a track, within a few minutes, I mean literally a few minutes, I'll know whether we're gonna find that deer or not. 
if if we're if we're not going to find it, it's just like he has no interest. He'll be all excited when the get go, you know, when we start. But then in a few minutes, he loses interest and he's looking at, you know, rabbits or squirrels or whatever else he can find, uh, because he knows in some way, shape, or form that that deer's not dead. Hmm. And you know, we'll keep looking. You know, a lot of times we'll keep looking. The hunter will expect you know us to keep looking, and we will. But you know, I'll have a good feeling like, look, I don't think this deer is dead. And I think he knows it long before we do. Typically, will he just go out and then come back to you and look at you? Yeah, he he doesn't doesn't range real far unless he's on that track. And that's the prime sign. When he he goes out there 100, 150 yards and then comes right back, we're not going to find that deer typically. Not good news. Uh, But when he, you know, what we found one for the juries for – no, I've drawn a blank on the brother. Brothers, the lurk, lurk, uh, yeah, Jared. Lurk. yeah, Jared, yeah. We found his deer. I think it was last year, or whatever. And we got out of the truck, and and stick got away from me, and blew out of there. And I was looking at my GPS, and and I was like, well, you know, he's two hundred and fifty yards out, you know, and going. And I mean, we walked down there right where he took off from, and found the blood again. And before we could figure out what to do, you know, the GPS is staying treed and he had that deer. I mean, wow. like, like instantly. And that was a track from the night before. He might be so, Jerry's you know, they, best friend. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so David. Uh, he, yeah, I was, uh, I was reading a, an article about a, a technique that was developed in Germany. And this guy over there designed, designed a set of huge shoes that you put the, the deer hooves on uh-huh. and, and walk to train a dog. But the deer hooves have to be off of a deer that's been wounded and run quite a ways because that interdigital scent gland in the hooves deposits a stronger scent because the deer's under stress from being wounded. Hmm. And, and, that, and you can have 40 got- deer run across that path and they their scent is not as strong as that one that's under stress and wounded. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be something like that, yeah. Bill. I mean, there's got to be something that they release that that we don't know, but uh, them dogs, they they know. It's beyond you know. our understanding. I mean, it's the same. I assume it's the same reason that you know dogs can smell cancer on people mm-hmm. and and things like that. It's yeah, kind of a god yeah. thing. I they guess they can stay, stay, They can smell a diabetic alert dog. Yeah, with low blood sugar. Yeah, that's low blood sugar. So, David, yeah. is there like a Facebook group of dog blood dog handlers that uh, that that you that you're a member of or that you know of? So, if a guy's listening to this yeah. and he doesn't know somebody that has a blood dog and he wounds a deer, he got an option. Yeah, there is in Missouri now. I don't know about a. I'm sure there's a national, but the Missouri Blood Trackers is a, a Facebook page that we use a lot at home and. There's a lot of really good guys on there, you know, that, that do this. And then there's, you know, it's just a place to go to get information on tracks and stuff. You know, that's, that's been, you know, kind of an interesting part of it besides getting sick to find them is you get reports on all different kinds of shots and the outcome, you know, where they hit them and where they found them and what the broadhead did or the bullet did or whatever. And, and that, that Facebook page is a wealth of knowledge for that, you know, and if you, if you're in Sedalia, Missouri, and you hit a deer, you get on there and say, hey, I'm in Sedalia, Missouri. You know, does anybody in the area have a dog? And you'll get 
40 replies, you know, the guys that are in the area or, or will come, you know, a lot of them are two or three hours away, but they'll come like me. If I got time, I don't care where it's at. I'm going, you know, if I can go, I had a guy call today and wanted me to to track one, but I didn't have time today, but, uh, it would have been the perfect dog or perfect deer for stick. He was just in a big thick patch and the guy couldn't find him, but he knew he was dead, you know? Yeah, I, I was I was checking on Facebook earlier, and there's a Mississippi group, and it has twenty four thousand people wow. that are members. Yeah, so <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know, not everybody has social media, but everybody knows somebody that does, and sure. and they could at least look up that Facebook group for that particular state and and find somebody, you know. And a lot of these people, just like you, David, uh, you're doing it because you enjoy it. Uh, right. And so oh, yeah. you know, a lot of these work. people, you know, you may, uh, I'm sure people have different fees and, you know, mileage and, um, and that's going to vary. But uh, a lot of these people are doing it because that's, they almost enjoy it more than, than the deer hunt itself. Sure. Well, it's with just their like dog. I said, from, from the get go, it's a chance to go hang out with your buddy. That's and right. who don't want to do that? You know, I mean, yeah, and help whether you find, find it or not. Harvest, huge yeah. 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 You get a guy that goes from just stick to his stomach to tickle to death happy, you know, like Jared that day. He, you know, watched that deer all summer and then made a bad shot. He was just sick, you know, and, and then we found it. And, uh, oh, stick, I save mean, the he day. <laughs> save the day, you know. And, yeah. and, he and got it's a almost like, it. oh, yeah. And them dogs, it's almost like they know they've done it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, when they find one, and when he finds one, he's just like, look, look, look what I got. I got him. I got him. I'm right. You're right. I'm strutting. It's right. mine. It's mine. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Dave, we've enjoyed having you. It's good to hear your voice. We Absolutely. haven't talked in a while. I miss you. But it is, uh, it's, it's, it's really good to hear your voice. You, you were part of our lives for a long time. So Bill's well, going to take care of his dog. <laughs> he's in town more you than know, he is. Yeah. I was uh, in that industry for 30 years, Bobby, as you know, and there's a, there's a few things I missed about it. You all are one of them. So well, I appreciate you, you thinking of me and, and reaching out. And if I can ever help you, you know, I'm here for you. Yeah. Well, that's the same way. We, fit, we, we, we really enjoy you, David. So look, thank you for being on Tell Stick. We said hello. Absolutely. I'll, I'll do it, man. <laughs> hey, right, stop David. by the kennel sometime. Uh, yeah. Visit a while. Uh, you're a babysitter. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll be there. We'll see you, boys. All right, thanks, okay. thanks, David. All right, Dave. Well, Mr. Bell, have you got anything to add? Um, I, I want to add something about David. Yeah, you know, okay. David loves this dog so much that when he goes out of town hunting, he drives. Doesn't he live in Missouri? He does. He drives from Missouri to West Point, Mississippi, to drop him off with Bill. He does. You're exactly <laughs> right. He drives right. his dog off and his salmon and rice food, and I think he calls and checks on him what once every three hours. Somewhere around there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember the first time he left, he was calling me yeah, to check him out. I thought I said, David, look. And then yeah. he laid him off on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, there's nothing like that relationship. It really is. You're right. I'm well, his best friend. So circling back, though, is, is there – so do we cover what a guy can do on his own to, to kind of help train his, uh, if he's got a dog? I think Bill, I mean, hit that pretty good. Yeah, we we pretty well covered what we do. Okay, well, there was nothing else yeah. you wanted to add to it. I I, no. I just like to think that guys listening to this might could learn something that they might could do themselves. But the best alternative would be to get in touch with you and have you help. That's train correct. The dog. And, and we're glad to help people. You know, if they want to leave the dog and let us work with it, although it messes our training up 
of the day a lot of times because then every dog in the kennel will follow the deer instead, <laughs> instead of do his retrieve, his or her retrieve. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when I was a young kid, I mean, my one of my first experiences, I had a bird dog named named Jim. And my, I mean, I trained him. I was probably 14 years old. And I got, I just love that dog so much, but he pointed a buck. Mm-hmm. One, my dad was with me and the dog pointed and I was like, so excited. He's pointing, he locked it. And there was a big brush pile. And I went and walked up to flush the, what I thought was going to be some quail and a, and a, and a deer stood up. And from that point on, your life was, was changed I, forever. I, I, I wanted to deer hunt from that point on, but, Jim showed you the way. It's interesting how animal uh, dogs react to the scent of a deer. It really it is. is. It really is. And I guess you can run different type tests on a dog to determine exactly what influences the dog more. Ground scent, air scent, uh, a wounded animal scent. But uh, I had never heard of interdigital scent gland until I started reading a little article. Well, actually, a guy contacted you, John Phillips, in Alabama, mm-hmm. and then he contacted me, and when he was telling me all about it, and I talked to him about how we do it. I think he wrote an article on it. Probably. Uh, he writes a lot of articles. Yeah, he tends to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, find if you find out any more about that, maybe we can revisit this at some point. Yeah, some books out there on it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the great, of course, I'm a, I'm a lab guy, you know, me too. Hey, you are, <laughs> but, um, you know, the David's got a, a great scenario where he gets to do it a lot. That dog associates, you know, that success and the praise that you give him. So I would even say he could probably learn to ground trail a little bit, uh, although he's predisposed to, you know, air scenting. Well, um, labs are more into air scent mm-hmm. than they are ground scent mm-hmm. because they're primarily used for duck hunting. And upland, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously, if you shoot a bird out forty yards, he goes straight down. There's not going to be a lot of ground scent. It's all going to be air scent. Didn't you so. say even on birds though they can even smell the gunpowder? Oh yeah, I'll give you an example. We uh, rabbit hunted with ferrets in northern with Ireland. ferrets. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the rabbits over there live underground in tunnels, and so you. You put a little beeper collar on a ferret, or two or three, and you put them in the hole, and then you got a pipe-looking deal, and you walk along, keeping up with where your ferrets are going. Well, when they get close to a rabbit, the rabbit comes screaming out of the hole, and somebody 100 yards down may shoot the rabbit, and the Mm -hmm. grass is this high. So the dog cannot see the rabbit. All he hears is the gunshot. So you sit him down the line. You might have 12, 24 people in line with shotguns, and he'll go down until he hits the uh, powder trail from the shotgun, turn and go pick the rabbit huh. by using the powder trail. That's the powder smart. trail that's going from the end of the barrel right, to, to the, the rabbit. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. How do you get your ferrets back? Yeah. You bow a little whistle. <laughs> and they come out of the hole. <laughs> I'm picturing Mr. Bill. I gotta do this. I'm picturing Mr. Bill with some kind of pouch and some yeah. ferrets sticking their heads they out. They that little whistle. They come get in a cage. But oh I mean, that's that's a, quite a deal to rabbit hunt with ferrets. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, I've never heard of that. Uh, Richard, can you get on the internet while we're thinking about this and fact check on that? Right, 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 we could, yeah, but. And so, see if you can line us up a hunt. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's an interesting story. So do we have anything else to add to the blood trail before we wrap up and do a uh, Ask Dudley? I think we covered it. 
Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think we talked about, you know, the, the high points of for sure, you know, pay attention to what's going on, try to make a clean ethical shot, uh, pay a lot of attention to how that animal reacts after the shot, uh, what he does, obviously, you know, the last place of sight. Uh, and then if you can't, you know, if you're if you're reluctant, um, if you, you're not confident in your trailing ability, you can go find a friend. Uh, go find somebody with a dog uh, that can help you, you you get it done, make the best decision. Because sure. like Bedelic said, the last thing we want to do uh, is leave something uh, in the woods. Yeah. Uh, there's no point in me asking what did we learn because you just covered it all right there. Well, That's a good recap for thank sure. You, thank you there, Bob. Good job. Paying attention, Laney. I do good. pay attention every now and then. That's good. Well, Mr. <laughs> Bill, stay right where you are. Don't okay. leave us now. And Dudley, won't you do it? You got an ask, Dudley? I sure do. Um. Scott, uh, didn't say exactly where he was from, but uh, near the James River in Virginia. And uh, so Scott said, hey, Dudley, so I'm not really wanting the trees I'm getting from y'all to look like an oak plantation. I want them to look like an actual forest someday, more of a timber and wildlife thing, not just a, a wildlife thing. What kind of spacing do you recommend is there anything else I should do like pruning or thinning? Thanks. Really good question, Scott. And, and that's something I'm interested in. Uh, you know, folks call in all the time and ask specific questions. You know, the, the first thing I ask people is what are your goals? Um, and, uh, but normally, normally our folks will space their trees really wide. They're trying to grow a lot of acorns or fruits. Um, but uh, if you want your if you want your land or an area of your land to look like a forest someday, and I'm I'm picturing like a natural you know, region forest, right? Like yeah. na- you know, like you go to a refuge or a national forest right. that's not virgin timber, but really old, you know, Mixed tall, species, all tall, straight trees yeah. with with good timber quality. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lot of defects from branching. You've got to grow them closer together. Um, and one of the things about oaks is they're not like a pine tree. They don't, they don't compete well with each other. So if you plant a whole lot of oaks and space them close together, you're not going to end up with quality, timber quality. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up with a bunch of knots and defects. So you need different species mixed in with your oaks. So you can space your oaks, I don't know, 25 or 35 feet apart. Um, baby them for three or four years, you know, so still do the tree tubes, do the weed control, full sun fertilization, and you're kind of giving them an advantage. And then about three or four years later, uh, you can just let the site go, let natural regeneration take place. You'll get, you know, maybe some ash, some elm, hickory, gums, Mm -hmm. um, things like that to compete with the oaks and it helps the oaks to self-prune. And uh, you end up with a, a really beautiful forest someday. You hmm. know, something where you think a bunch of turkeys are going to be hanging out in the spring. That's what we like. Um, and, it, and it works. You just, you know, you have to manage your expectations. You know, those trees aren't going to make acorns in their sixth year because they're having to compete with a lot of other trees. And they're going to grow vegetatively uh, and straight up instead of out. And so, but that's how you do it, and it and it works. I remember uh, maybe it was a couple of years ago you were talking about people planting cottonwoods next to 
to oak yeah, trees. Trainer trees. Trainer trees uh, to make Some them people grow call them faster. pusher trees. Yep. So it actually makes the invigorates the growth in the tree up. Exactly. Gotcha. And, and, you know, there's some publications out there uh, you can look for. A uh, guy last name Burkhart did a lot of work on it uh, 15, 20 years ago. Um, the trainer tree concept. Trainer trees. Um, and it, it works. Uh, they even ranked the trainer trees by species. Like if you're trying to grow quality cherry bark red oaks here in the south, the best trainer tree is a sweet gum. Hmm. Um, and there, there's a lot of others that were close second and thirds, but, uh, it's, it's out there, you know, well, you'll get so, a sweet gum if you want, if you want them or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Thank you, Doug. Good yeah. stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Always Thank good. You. It is. We hadn't had it asked Dudley in a couple of weeks. No, and that's my fault. No, we've it's been, okay. We've been going long. We've years. had a lot to talk about. It's been deer season, man. Yeah. It's a, one of our favorite times of the year, for sure. No doubt. So, look, there's a, we've got some new gamekeepers that have been added to the family. Yeah, the Eddie, family has been expanded this week kind of rapidly in the last couple of days. Yeah. So, last week we were talking about, you know, passing on. we got a couple new Mossy Oak family members that we got to talk about. Our very own, y'all noticed that Mac was not on the air uh, this week. So, Mac is just getting out of labor and delivery with... Maddie Francis Thatcher. Yeah. So we'd like to welcome her in the house. What a, she's a beautiful young yeah, little, little baby. Beautiful. Uh, we baby. were we were talking about that. You know, most babies, you know, their face is squished or something like that, and then a week later they're beautiful. Of course, most moms say they're beautiful, but to me, I'm like oh, that. Maybe looks kind of like an alien. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was the most beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most beautiful little baby she's I've seen. Beautiful. There's yeah. no doubt about it. So we're real proud. Uh, for, for Mac and for McKenzie uh, on their yep. new arrival. And as of this morning, our own David Holly and Byrne Holly had Jack, whoops, excuse me, James Sanford Holly, and they're calling him Jack. So got a That's picture awesome. of him right on the screen, too. A couple of new little gamekeepers coming in the fold. We're super excited about that. We love babies around here. We sure do. Well, it's so exciting. And it it, is. Everybody just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a a it's a time in your life when you're just like, you know, it's it's like it's so says, special. You realize why you're here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you do. That is so. so happy, happy, happy for them. Do we know what uh, Mac and them are going to call the little baby? Uh, do we know? Because yeah, I heard a rumor, Margaret. Margaret, but, maybe yeah. Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I doubt know. it. Okay. All right. Well, I, you're you're, you're hilarious, though. <laughs> All right, Richie. I'm looking at you. Is there any unfinished business we need to wrap up or do? No, sir. I believe you hit all the points there, Bobby. Okay. There he goes. Well, how is Caledonia doing with their football team? We do have the third round of playoffs coming up tomorrow night. No, man. Uh, so it's a big you, time there in the Caledonia. Are you going to be announcing? I will be. It's uh, What station and, do we need to tune into? Uh, to well, to it's uh, Caledonia doesn't have its own radio broadcast <laughs> via the radio, the airwaves, but uh, there's a link. The there is a link, actually, uh, you can listen to an app. So I can, I can well, get I you that. Tune into that. Yeah, yeah get, get Dudley that. That's all. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Mr. Bill. We appreciate you being here. You, Always. Yeah, you look. I appreciate great. the invite. Oh yes, sir. What you got, KC doing down there? I don't know. He's probably asleep. Like <laughs> no, he's probably working dogs or something. Probably. Probably. <laughs> I hope. Maybe. Yeah, that's right. Well, good. Well, I think we have covered everything. Y'all leave us a review, please. Uh, watch the TV show on Tuesday nights. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, let us know. Comments, questions, ask Dudley. Hit us up. Yeah, and please share a podcast with your friends. We 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 would appreciate that. So, why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.